My friends, good evening to you. I sound like a vampire, don't I? Good evening. And, and if you're joining us via the World Wide Web, we're glad that you're joining us as well. You, we will not feast upon your blood tonight. Um, you're safe at home, apparently. Um, my name's Brett. I am one of the pastors here. Rain it in. Let's pray as we begin. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we are yours, and you say that you are ours. And so we ask this evening as we read your scriptures that you would come and speak gospel tonight. We need you to speak life into the places where we are dead, encouragement into the places we despair courage into the places where we are afraid. So come speak, Lord, for your children are listening. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen and amen. It's an exciting evening for me because I've never gotten to say these words before in a sermon. Are you ready? These are the words you've been longing to hear your entire life. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Zephaniah. Right? Never said that before. Feels good. I feel good about that. We're in our ninth week of studying the minor prophets, or as the early church called them, uh, the book of the Twelve. Um, but they called them the book of the Twelve because there's a flow, there's a pattern, there's actually somewhat of a plot afoot in uh, the book of the Twelve. If the book of the Twelve were a football game, um, tonight, we are experiencing the end of an excruciating third quarter is where we are in the game tonight. Uh, the first half of the game was essentially the prophets over and over and over again saying, guys, the way you're living, the path you're choosing, you're about to run into a brick wall. You're about to run into a brick wall. You're about to, you're choosing the way of death. The path that you're on, it cannot last. That was the first half of the book of the 12 in varying degrees. And so we all run into the locker room and the, let the half, halftime show, you know, disappoint everybody, and, and then we, uh, we run back onto the field, and we immediately hit the brick wall of Nahum, Habakkuk, and tonight, Zephaniah. This is the end of, it's the third quarters where we hit um, the brick wall. It's where everything hits the fan. You, you know what I mean? Um, we need to remember, though, that where Zephaniah is in the game. Because if we forget that we are at the end of the third quarter, that there was a lot of game that took place before this, and there's still some game to play after this, we're going to be really confused. Um, we're all going to have whiplash or something as Zephaniah begins. I'm warning you. Um, because we're almost certainly going to get, um, this is the big deal, we're almost certainly going to get the wrong impression about God. So I'm just telling you, um, I, in fact, I remember at some point a few years ago, I uh, was thumbing through my Bible. You know, I've got my coffee in the morning, and you're like, I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. I should probably read this thing. And so uh, Zephaniah is only three chapters long. This is several years ago. And I was like, I don't know if I've ever read these three chapters, you know, at a run. You know, all three of them together. And so the sun's shining, and the birds are singing, and I've got my coffee. And let's find out what old Zephaniah has to say to me today in my personal 
personal quiet time. You know, my feeling real pious right here. Here's how Zephaniah begins. Verse 1 of Zephaniah, the word of Yahweh. I've changed Lord to Yahweh in all of the text, by the way, because when it's all in capital letters, that's what it is. It's the proper name of God. Um, The word of Yahweh that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. This is the word that the Lord is speaking through him. I will, verse 2, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares Yahweh. And I put down my coffee. (laughs) I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, the rubble um, and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares Yahweh. He keeps going through like the entire first chapter and he ends his first chapter. Like you could read it at some point, but He ends it this way. Verse 17, I will bring distress on mankind so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against Yahweh. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Like dung. Um, Like however that is. Uh, Verse 18, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of Yahweh. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. You know, <laughs> this is the word of the Lord, and everyone said, thanks be to God. Um, many of us, for whatever reason, maybe um, it was like a relationship we have with our parents. Maybe it was like an experience we had at like a previous faith community. Um, maybe it's just like the, for me, it's like, I think something of like just my temperament or personality. We carry around a certain um, impression, uh, impression of God. And uh, we need to name that this evening. Um, We we could say it this way. We often think of God as vengeful, trigger-happy, and against us. We would never say this in church because it's such a deep fear. It's such a thing that we're, like, terribly afraid of that you don't even want to speak it out loud. But, like, somewhere, like, in the gut... We're like afraid of this. I grew up in a church, and I uh, originally walked down an aisle in um, when at the age of seven in a mess of tears and snot, and I prayed a prayer at the tender age of seven because I was desperately afraid of this. I was terribly afraid, desperately afraid of God sending me into endless fires when I died. And I'm not going to ask for a show of rooms around the hand because it's a sensitive place. But um, I'm sure there are people around the room who can relate to this. What I heard was that God is angry at sin. He's angry at sin, but here's the catch. You're a sinner, Brett. And so I hear that God is against 
me because I'm, a, I think I had broken something that more like, like, a, like a piece of trim or something like on the, and I'd lied about it. And so seven-year-old Brett is thinking about this and, and I've sat in church long enough and like I, and I know this isn't everybody's experience in the room, but it's some people's experience in the room. And I was just desperately afraid that God is trigger happy. He's perfectly happy. I mean, he's content. It, like it wouldn't bother him if like he ended up sending me to hell because if I happened to walk out these doors this evening and died tonight. I don't know why. It's such a dangerous thing to go to like this tradition of church that you're always like going to die tonight when you go. Anyway, um, that's a whole lot for a seven-year-old to be processing. Um, I'm so grateful uh, for um, people in the room um, like, uh, like I think Daniel, Pastor Daniel, who... Um, they grew up in a tradition like this, but they didn't necessarily, um, they intuitively understood. They didn't, they didn't necessarily hear these things, and if they did hear these things, it just ran off their back like water off a duck. That's a metaphor, right? <laughs> they intuitively understood the limitless love of God. But I'm sure there are other people in the room who are like me, based on whatever circumstances, you know, or, or you're joining from like your bedroom, or from like your dorm room, or from your kitchen, or, or wherever, and you've walked a path similar to me. That, like you have this fear deep in you, and you hear Zephaniah's opening words. And every one of these fears that you would never speak, it begins to like resurface. Because we think deep within us somewhere that God is vengeful, that he's trigger happy, and he's against us. He's ready to, verse 17, I made a joke about it, probably a defense mechanism. He's ready to pour out my blood like dust and my flesh like dung. And so this is not how I pictured um, spending my Friday evening. Maybe it's not how you uh, pictured it either. But since Zephaniah has brought it up, let's talk for a few minutes about the wrath of God. Sound like a good plan? Let's do it. Um, remember, we're in the third quarter of the Book of the Twelve. This is not, um, by the way, the Super Bowl where you can like turn off the TV in the third quarter and um, and you get the final score. Um, that was a dig at the Chiefs, I think. Did, did somebody tell me? Did I do? Okay, sorry. I'd done that like in two consecutive sermons, and I don't even watch football. So no, come get me afterwards. Um, Zephaniah is not speaking in this third quarter. He's not speaking the last words of the story or the first words of the story. And we need to bear that in mind when we hear God, verse 2, when we hear him saying, I will utterly sweep away. He will suf, is the verb in Hebrew. Will suf, everything from the face of the earth. It's actually a rather unique verb here. Suf. We could, you guys all want to say it together? Suf. Everyone say it. Suf. Oh, you sound wonderful. Okay, um, it's, it's actually only used seven times in the Old Testament, in all of the Old Testament, and three of them are right here. It's, and it's nowhere else in the book of the Twelve. The prophets use their words carefully. So Zephaniah is making something of a statement here with this rather unique verb. Suf, it happens to be um, built off of the same letters as the word whirlwind. Suf sounds like sufa, 
Like, I want to go have some popcorn on the sofa. Uh, and and in the, it's like the warning that we heard in the book of Hosea as the ver- at the very beginning of this game. Hosea, in the first quarter, said, For they, Israel, they sow the wind, and what they will weep is the sufa. It's the sufa. It's going to come back. The whirlwind is going from the very beginning of the book of the 12, Israel, you're going to run into a brick wall. You're living in such a way that what you're actually throwing out is going to grow up and you're going to reap disaster. The seeds that you are planting are ruach, their their wind, their breath. But what is going to grow from this is sufa. It's it's like a hurricane. It's It's the kind of storm that brings an end to things. So from the very first quarter, from the very beginning, God has been saying, this path, it doesn't end well, it doesn't end well, there's a brick wall coming, what you're putting in the ground, it doesn't grow very well, you're not going to like it when it sprouts, when it starts bearing fruit. And I want to suggest something to you this evening um, in clarifying how the Bible works when it uses language about God's judgment. Um, just like you're sowing and then you're reaping. We could say it this way. Scripture portrays God's judgment as fast-forwarding the path that we have chosen. That's all over the Scripture. We just don't even recognize it when it's happening, but it's the path that we're already on. We have chosen, and what God's doing is he's just fast for we don't often we don't often recognize how like sophisticated and smart and subtle the bible is but people like spend their entire lives studying this as literature and the scriptures they're profoundly sophisticated so um i just want to throw out a couple of examples of this to help you um kind of understand um what's happening not just on like a theological level but even like on a literary level in genesis 6 we're all familiar there's a big flood somehow it got turned into a cartoon and <laughs> like stuffies for children. Um, But uh, Genesis 6, humankind, it says, has descended into violent madness all over the world, and chaos is enveloping the entire world. And so God, it says he's, doesn't say he's angry, it says he's grieved. He's grieved in his heart. And so God fast forwards and lets the chaos come quick. It's like the dry land is once again consumed by the waters of chaos. It's a reversal of, cre- of the creation you saw just a couple of chapters before. There are these wilderness stories in, uh, as the Il- Israelites are coming out of Egypt. And Israelites, there are a couple of blokes, a- Achan and Korah. There are these guys that rebel against Yahweh, who like establish the foundations of the earth, the pillars of the earth. And it's like in their rebellion, God just like fast forwards to show where this inevitably leads. And so the pillars of the earth like wind up collapsing under them and the earth itself swallows them. In Numbers 21, there's a famous story of snakes coming into the camp and biting a whole lot of Israelites. And it's, it's like God is just fast-forwarding. And he's saying, guys, 
don't you realize that like ever since humanity stole wisdom from that tree back in Genesis 3, you are either crushing the snake or you are dying from snake bites. You guys, you're living, fast forward, you are living in such a way that the serpent is killing you. Are we tracking this? Uh, Zephaniah is using the language in the same way right here. He looks around him at the idolatry and the corruption in both the people of God and in the surrounding nations. And he thinks, my goodness, the way everyone is living is destroying the world. And so his prophecy begins with the unmaking of the cosmos is what it you can go ahead and throw verse uh, three up there it's man and beast verse three birds of the heavens fish of the sea the categories of life that were introduced in genesis one all of them are going to be soothed they're all going to be swept away and it actually says right here i've underlined mankind god is going to cut off adam adam humanity from the ha'adumah, the, from the ground. It, this is Genesis 2 language of like, he's just reversing everything. Humanity has chosen a path that is so destructive that it's time to just like fast forward. Can we get, like, let's just get to the dust from dust part. You're going to return to dust. We often wish that we could make this happen, don't we? Like we will watch our children making a mistake, like choosing a path, and we know exactly how this is going to play out. Or we have a friend who's like making these decisions, and we know what it's going to be like six months from now, and we wish, you know, could we just fast forward to like the end of this, to the place where like all the pieces are broken, and it's not because I don't like my child or I don't like my friend. It's, it's not because I'm vengeful or against them. Far from it. It's like, I know this is how this is going to go, and I'm trigger happy for them to be past all of this. Like, I'm ready for them to be fully alive. I'm ready for them to be whole. I'm ready to gather up the broken pieces and, and make them alive. The prophet, Zephaniah, is looking at the people of God and, and the whole world, and he's saying that God feels something similar, is what he's saying. And he's going to sweep in with like a, a mighty wind, with like the eternally fresh air of his spirit, and he's going to destroy, is what he's saying. But here's the thing, I was thinking about this this week. Fresh air can only destroy things that have been dead for a really long time already. Ever since I was a little kid, I have actually had a fascination with um, ancient Egypt. I'm not talking about like Bible stuff. I'm just like Egypt, you know, like the pyramids, the Sphinx, you know, those paintings of the guy with the dog head, you know. It's like, look at it's Anubis, by the way. Uh, like you, you look at this stuff, and, and 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 of course, like ever since I was a kid, mummies, mummies, like the idea. I remember as a kid hearing about this, the idea that the Egyptians would take and they'd wrap their dead and do the thing with the organs and the jars and as a kid you're like tell me more 
<laughs> and, and some of those mummies are still around today in museums. Tell me more. And I vaguely remember, um, like, the jaw-dropping idea. I don't know if any of you remember, like, Anyway, uh, like the idea, I remember someone telling me and processing that mummies can start falling apart when they're exposed to fresh air. <laughs> as an adult, I've realized that this doesn't like happen as quickly as it does in real life, as it, uh, as it does in the, in the movies, but it does happen. Um, like humidity, temperature changes, normal floating microbes in the, in the air, the things what we call fresh air. Take a deep breath. It can wreak havoc on the mummies, on things. Evidently, you want to keep something, if you want to keep something dead from falling apart, you have to, like, keep everything just right. You got to handle it with gloves. You got to, like, keep it buried and in the dark. Otherwise, it just like turns to dust. And the, I think the same thing is true um, in our lives. We could say it this way. Um, wrath is how we experience God's deep kindness dissolving our death. That's wrath. We experience it as wrath, but what is it really? It's Deep kindness that is dissolving our death. It has been 30 years since I walked down the aisle in snot and tears, shaking in fear. Um, that I needed, uh, believing that I, um, and Jesus met me in this, I don't mean to, but um, since I believed that I needed to say just the right words. And I needed to believe hard enough with enough gusto and keep it up other, to make sure that God wouldn't be mad at me. And I have learned something about God in those 30 years. And I've learned it by continually coming back to the person of Jesus. Jesus himself, he told his disciples, if you want to know what God is like, look at me. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The opening of the book of Hebrews says that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. And so if you can't imagine Jesus doing it, you shouldn't be imagining God doing it. I just keep coming back to Jesus. Like, I keep reading about him. I keep, like, praying to him. I keep following him. And I just keep letting Jesus shape my understanding of God. And that, that includes God's anger and what we call his wrath. And there are moments in my life, there are moments, even seasons, I've had stretches where it feels like maybe, maybe Jesus is rebuking me right now. <laughs> maybe, he, maybe it even feels like he's flipping over tables, you know, around me or, or within me. There are moments or, or, or stretches where I feel like, man, what is going on? What is, like, in here, in my spirit, I just, it feels not, what's going on out here in my, my circumstances? I just don't feel at peace with the way that things are. That opportunity maybe fell through, and it makes absolutely no sense, or, you know, it just, I have a sense that things aren't right. And it feels like 
if I were to put a, I, was like, I feel like maybe things aren't right between me and God. Jesus is teaching me, though, what God is like. To always trust that behind and beneath everything, it is God's kindness at work. And in the moments that I feel like are painful or awful, the moments where I feel like I am experiencing, like I would, it feels like wrath right now, there in the midst of it all, it is actually deep kindness at work. It's the gentle breath of the Spirit soothing, <laughs> sweeping away another layer of death from around me, getting a little fur. And I granted, there are some moments, like um, one really hard one for my family was we had some miscarriages, um, like a couple of them. And that's cl clearly not the will of God. That is not God at work. That is the work of like a disordered world. Or that, that is the work of the enemy or, or forces that are opposed to life and love. And so here's the rule of thumb that I've, um, I've come to. Um, the enemy works even through the good to get us into death. And the spirit works even through the bad to get us into life. And so we say yes with Zephaniah that God is against sin in, in your life, in my life. Of course he is. He's a good God. But it's precisely because God loves you desperately and he wants to soothe away all the layers of death. He wants you fully alive and whole. God sweeps away. He whirlwinds away. He dissolves by fresh air. And it's always his kindness at work. Even before Jesus, Zephaniah had an inkling of this because as scary and as horrible as Zephaniah begins, notice the surprise turn that Zephaniah makes as he's ending. This is uh, the end of chapter 3, verse, we'll start in verse 8. Therefore, wait for me, declares Yahweh, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather the nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. Okay, we've covered this ground already. The, the fire is being poured out, the earth is being consumed. But notice, notice, notice verse 9. God tells his motive right here. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of Yahweh and serve him with one accord. The fire is not going to decimate or destroy. It's going to purify and perfect. That's God's motive in all that he does, change. He's going to unite the people. It says, make them of one accord. And this isn't just, notice, this isn't just aimed at God's people, at the Israelites. It's the whole world. It's all the nations. The nations, verse 8, are going to be gathered. And then verse 9, the speech of the peoples is going to be purified. And then God continues. He just, he's like, well, now that I'm letting the cat out of the bag of why I'm doing this, let me just let you know. Verse 11, on that day, you shall not be put to shame. 
because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy... Haughty just sounds funny. Sorry. Um, And you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain, but I will leave in your midst the change of people humble and lowly, And they shall seek refuge in the name of Yahweh. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice. They shall speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. And then he just keeps going. He's like on a roll. Zephaniah, he opened with some of like the hardest language in all of scripture, the unmaking of the cosmos. But this was his goal all along. This is the whole point of all of it. Verse 14, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Yahweh is taken Taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, Yahweh, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. Yahweh your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save, and he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And so Zephaniah began, like we experience it a lot in our lives. It feels like something's wrong. Dread and discomfort, but it ends up in a concert, in a carnival. It's the way this book ends. Sing! Rejoice! Verse 14 is what he's saying. The nightmare is over. The dawn has come. Verse 15, God has taken away the judgments against you. And we're supposed to sing? Did you? I hope you noticed, because God, verse 17, is in our midst, and God is already singing. Loudly, according to the text. God is celebrating. God is rejoicing. God, hear me, God doesn't stay angry. And even his anger was always moving towards this, towards joy. Joy. Joy, unspeakable joy, endless joy. Can this even get better? Oh my goodness, it did joy. Oh my, all of us have been born into, we keep waking up in the endless adventure of limitless joy. And as this adventure's begun, all of us, like, we're not even out of the shire yet. And all of us have, like, wandered into, like, a thicket. And we've got brambles and thorns, like, covering us. And the thorns are killing us on the outside and on the inside. And so the kindness of our singing God, the God who comes, he he wants us to come along with him and sing on the path with him. He comes along. He focuses, he directs his anger, and he dissolves all of the death that is entangling us. And it's so scary because the thorns aren't just on the outside, they're on the inside too. And so this is what 
Zephaniah is wanting us to recognize this evening, that our lives become joyful as we submit to God's unmaking and remaking. That's when we <laughs> begin to experience joy. This is, this is the path that we walk. We walk the path. We can't get off of it. The path of God unmaking us so that we can be remade into joy. And it's a path that Israel walked before us. And thank goodness, here's the gospel for us tonight. It's a path that none of us are walking alone because the God of Israel has walked this path himself. Israel's God's already done this. Jesus, God on the cross, became unmade himself so that he could remake the world. We're not alone in any of this. Because God himself was carried into the mummy's tomb as a corpse. And then he blew open the door three days later with singing Easter anthems. And now the whirlwind of fresh air, the breath of his spirit is invading the tomb and saying, I am removing your shame. It starts now. I'm removing your, your eating disorder will not put you to shame. Pornography will not put you to shame your secret spending. It will not put you to shame. I am going to remove the judgments against you because I'm going to remove the sin from you. I will never give up on you and you shall not be put to shame and you will not be afraid. You will not be afraid. Your child's health will not make you afraid. The political climate around you, it will not make you afraid. The bank statement that you're seeing that doesn't make any sense, it will not make you afraid. That diagnosis that you've got, it will not, none shall make them afraid. The question is not, are we afraid or not? The question is not even, do we have mummies buried? Or do we have skeletons in our closet? The question is, are we willing to open up to the fresh air of God's spirit and let him dissolve it all? He's going to do it. How? And so, and the question is, uh, how often are we opening ourselves up to fresh air? How often are we opening or bringing these things to God? Bringing them to safe people around us? It doesn't happen as quickly as, I w as it does in the movies. I wish that it did. But exposing that death, whatever it is, to fresh air, it will eventually fall apart. Your life will not forever be a thing of death, ready to fall to pieces. Your life will not be something that needs to be handled with gloves and needs to have parts of it kept buried and away in the dark. It will not happen. The Lord of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth, says it. You're not, that's not your destiny according to the gospel. You, verse 13, will graze and lie down and you will be honest, and you will be whole, and you will not have a deceitful tongue in your, it will be gone. And you will not have to keep track of the lies anymore. All sin and all judgments, I am taking away. I am burning them away, says God. This is not the end. You will live. You will live, says God. You will be my people. I will be your God. So I want to say this, the clearest statement I can as we're about to come to the table. God 
is kind. And he's singing. And he's working for your good. God wants you alive, unashamed, and unafraid. And here's the good news. Here's the gospel. God is going to get what he wants. He's going to get what he wants. That's the gospel this evening. And you're invited to believe it. Stand with me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we ask that you would help us believe the good news about what you are like. Help us open ourselves up to the work of your fresh air. Free us from all the sin that entangles us, all the death that wraps its cords around us, and help us taste the endless, limitless, eternal joy that is the adventure that lies before us. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen and amen. As you prepare to receive your communion elements, can you pick those up and open them up? Paul in 1 Corinthians says, before you come to the table of the Lord, repent. Brett has preached us to this moment perfectly to come and, and let the wind of the Spirit blow away everything in us that is death. And so I want to invite you to just begin to confess to the Lord, to invite the wind of His Spirit to sweep away whatever those things are. So would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? Would you quiet your hearts here in the presence of the Lord? And will you say, come Holy Spirit. You know the things you know the skeletons tucked away. You know the, the stuff that has to be handled with white gloves. You know the areas of frailty. You know the dustiness of your own life. Would you say, come Holy Spirit. Lord, we want you to heal us. We want you to touch us in those places where there's darkness and death and chaos. Lord, heal us tonight. Jesus, as we come to the table of the Lord, this is the moment of your unmaking that makes the remaking possible. <laughs> this is my body which is broken for you. Jesus, you fell apart so that we could be made whole. You were shattered so that we could be put back together. And so we rest in you tonight. We trust in you tonight. We depend on you tonight. Where else can we go? to exchange all of our death for your life. We have you and we have you only. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. He gave it to his disciples. He broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. I will go into the unmaking. <laughs> so tonight, as you hold this bread, would you just break it in half? Imagine Jesus handing it to you tonight, looking you in the eyes and saying, I'll put you back together. This is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. You may receive the bread tonight.
on the same night he took the cup of wine. And he said, this cup is the new covenant. It's the agreement. It's the unbreakable oath between heaven and humanity. This cup is the new covenant, and it's given in my blood. And it's given for the remission of your sins. This is the whirlwind coming to sweep away death to put you back together. And it's given for the remission of your sins. And as often as you do this, remember. Remember what God is like. Remember that God is the God who took the wrath so that we could be made whole. You may receive the cup tonight. The end of this book, Zephaniah, it starts with wrath. The end is worship and praise and singing. And we're going to sing, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God tonight. So let's worship the Lord together and celebrate his goodness.
Sunday morning, then on the third at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. And so all of your trouble, all of your hardship, everything that is that devastation that we've been talking about tonight, let's submit that to the Lord and trust that Easter is coming. Let's sing that third verse. Then on the third at break of dawn, the Son
We heard the good news of the gospel tonight, that God is irretrievably for us. <laughs> that God is eternally for us. That even when it gets difficult, it's out of his love for us to put us back together. And so can we open our hands tonight and just say, praise you, Lord. Blessed be your name, Lord. Thank you for your kindness and your mercy and your love. Thank you so much for caring for us coming for us, entering into the whirlwind with us. Thank you for remaking us in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. So tonight for my friends, I pray, Lord, would you bless them and would you keep them? Would you make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them? Lord, would you lift your bright, smiling countenance upon every single one in this room and all of their people? their extended family, the people around them, the people that they care about, the people that they know, the people that they love, the people that they lay their lives down for. And would you grant them shalom? Give them your peace, we pray tonight. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here tonight? I want to invite our prayer team to come down. If you are looking for prayer, we would love to agree with you to, to speak life over you. So if that's you, you want prayer, join us down front. Go from here tonight in God's grace and peace. Much love.